0: You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Uh, as God has put this law together, when you have your, your Bible there, you see Genesis through Deuteronomy, right? You see that little check uh, section of scripture in your hand? That is what's called the law. In some sections, it's called the Pentateuch, which is a really fancy word for just saying five books, penta, right? Five books. And what that is, is that the section that contains the Old Testament law that we're going to talk about here, okay? Now, we mentioned last week a lot of the narrative happens in Genesis and some of Exodus. But within this, I want you to look down. The Old Testament contains how many commandments does it say right there? 613 commandments. Okay, that's your first line that we're going through there. The Old Testament contains 613 commandments. Now, most of us thought there were only how many? Ten, Ten, right? In the Old Testament, there's actually 613 commandments. So if you ever felt overwhelmed about the 10, guess what? You got 603 other ones that we got to think about tonight, okay? But well, we're going to unpack and help you understand what all that means. All of these commandments are found in four of the 39 books, which are Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, okay? So four of those 39 books, uh, 613 commandments go. Now, as you hear that, right, that 613 commandments happen in the first four books of the Bible, does that give you a hint to why some of us have struggled to read straight through the Bible, anybody? Okay? Um, so as someone who says, I think it's really great for you to read through the entire Scripture, the first five books are some of the most difficult to read. Okay? Okay. Genesis is you can make your way through because it's a lot of narrative Exodus halfway through you're doing good because it's a lot of narrative You get chapter 20 and it gets into rules and it doesn't really stop until Deuteronomy 34 except for a few narrative places So this is where I would say um, I've told my children uh, I have a kind of goal for them So uh, Gloria is reading through different books in the New Testament that she needs to I have encouraged my kids that by the time they are done with middle school Each of them should have read through the New Testament all the way through By the time they finish high school, I want them to read through the entire Bible. Now you just go, but you went to the back of the book before the front of the book. You are right. You know why? Because I want them to continue to read the book, okay? And if you go to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, even though I think they're important, they're helpful, if you start out a new believer in that, it's so confusing. And honestly, it's kind of problematic to walk through because there's a lot of things we don't really understand. So with that, we want to understand this. And within the sections of the Old Testament, uh, I'm going to bring these things up for you. But the first section there says this. That there's four major sections of the Old Testament. The first one is the law. And guess what it provided? The law provided the... You may want to guess? Law. Provided the law. So as we look at it here tonight, um, the law provided the law. It provides those, those 613 commandments. But then we get the second section called the history. And guess what the history really does? The history reported how well Israel kept the law, okay? So if you look at places past Deuteronomy, like the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua really highlights how well the people did keeping the law that was given to them in those previous books. Does that make sense? So the history book says, um, i give you another, uh, uh, Joshua, does anybody know what the next book is after Joshua? Judges. How well did the people and judges keep the Old Testament law, anybody? Really, really bad, okay? Really, really poorly, so the history, it's not like, oh, and by the way, here's some extra rules. It just shows how well they were keeping it or how well they were not keeping it. If you've ever read 2 um, Kings or First and Second Chronicles, if you've ever read those sections, it's like, and this king died and he did this. And that king died and this did this. And it all goes down to this. This king did well and obeyed the words of the Lord. Or this king disobeyed the words of the Lord. All it is is history saying, Guess how well they kept the law. If they're not moving on to new content. They're showing how people applied it. Third section is called the writings. Okay? The writings is the third section there. And the writings revealed wisdom for keeping the law. Okay? The writings revealed wisdom for keeping the law. So um wisdom writings are like Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, right? Guess what? The first chapter in Psalm says this. How blessed is the man who meditates on god's law day and night wait a minute i thought this was a worship uh book yep (laughs) how blessed is the one who meditates on his day long night he he does not uh he watches out doesn't get in the path of the sinners or walk in the counsel of the wicked and he just keeps talking about this but it keeps going down to people who are obeying the word day and night psalm 119 the longest chapter in the bible is all about guess what Lord, I love your word. I want to keep your law. I meditate on it all the time. It's just not moving. It's not new content. It's just how, how do we need to talk about the wisdom and keeping the law? And then the fourth section is this, the prophets. The prophets warned the people to keep the law. Anybody seen a common theme here in all four of those sections? Anybody want to guess? It's the law, right? So the law gives the law. History says how well they did or did not keep it. The wisdom says, hey, here's wisdom in how to keep the law. The prophets say this. The prophet sounds like your mom or your dad when you were little. Keep this or else, right, okay? It wasn't, and the prophets, a lot of times, we think they were you know, telling the future. Let me tell you how a prophet told the future. Uh a guy by the name of Jonah, you remember this? Hey, in 40 days, God's about to blow this up unless you change. He's a future teller, right, okay? Well, what happened? The people repented, and guess what? God did not visit Nineveh in that way at that time. You know why? Because the warning went out, obey God's law or else, and they repented. And guess what? God did not have to come on there. So the future telling was this: It's like many of you parents have told your child, "Cross that line one more time and see what happens." Right? <laughs> cross it. You, you see, cross that line one more time and see what happens. So the prophets, all of these sections, the law provided the law. The history reported how well they kept it. The wisdom revealed wisdom. Uh, the writings revealed wisdom, and then the prophets warned people to keep the law the most repeated commandments are referred to as the what? The Ten Commandments, right? The most repeated commandments are referred to as the Ten Commandments. Uh, ten Commandments contained within 17 verses of Scripture there in Exodus chapter 20. Ten Commandments, as you look at it, uh, are the most prominent, once again. Some of you may have, uh, maybe you memorized them, or you've got a way that you keep them up and whatnot, and that's a great thing. But even within those ten God reveals vertical and horizontal commandments which provides a framework for the other 603, okay? When I say vertical and horizontal, okay? Think about the horizon, okay? When the sun is setting on the horizon, which way of the horizon is? Is it this way or that way, right? Horizon is this way, right? And then, so it means vertical is this way. So when I say vertical commands, it means our relationship with who? With God. Horizontal commands are our relationships with who? each other. makes sense? Okay? So the Ten Commandments, there are four what we call vertical commandments. Okay? The first four. Then there are six commandments that are horizontal commandments. First four vertical. Don't have any other gods. Don't have any idols. Keep God's name holy. Keep God's day holy. Okay? There's a longer version of that if you'd like me to go there, but that makes sense. No other gods. No graven images. Keep his name holy. Keep his day holy. These are vertical commandments. Horizontal commandments. In the order. Honor your who? father and your mother. All right, that's number five. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Okay? There's your ten. So no other gods, no graven images. Uh, remember the Sabbath, or don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Those are the ten commandments. There's still 603 other ones, and this is the way it comes together. They really do show that vertical, horizontal stuff is that some of the commandments, the other 603, have to do with how we relate to God, but many of them have to do with how we relate to one another. So I want you to imagine for a moment, here are these group of people that have been sent out into the wilderness. They have lived under a ruthless tyrant of a guy named Pharaoh for most of them all their lives, right? They've been there their entire life. And they've lived in that condition. It's been a horrible condition for them. And what takes place is, is, is so amazing to think about is that God sets them free. They are going on the way to the promised land. And so all these people are really excited. But if you have lots and lots of people out there, folks, even if you have the strongest of leaders like a guy by the name of Moses, can you just imagine it might be a little chaotic out there? Just a tad bit. And so actually within those 603 other commandments, you know what a lot of them are? hey, here's just some civil laws, the way that we're going to relate to each other. Now, here's some worship stuff, how we'll deal with God, but here's some things the way that we're going to deal with each other. So look down that next uh, spot where it talks about sections of the law. And the first section there is what we call moral laws. Some of the laws were created because God had entered into a covenant with the people and demanded they stay loyal to him. Okay, that word there is covenant. I'm going to pull this up just a little bit more. The problem is when I pull this up, you're all going to be like just sort of jumping in to fill in the blank, right? You're not even going to be paying attention. I know some of you are so eager. Okay. Um, But really stay with me, okay? I promise I won't go anywhere. Some of the laws were created because God had entered into a covenant with the people and demanded they stay loyal to him. Okay? A covenant with God is this. God is committing this, as people we are committing this. A marriage covenant is when two people say, hey, we are committing this to each other, right? A church covenant is when someone says, I want to be a part of the church and, and I'm going to help the church and the church is going to help me. Where there's two different parties are coming together to say, we are making promises to each other. So some of the laws were created because God had entered into a covenant with the people and demanded they stay loyal to him. Like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with what? all your heart with all your soul with all your might now get this it doesn't say you need to fear your lord you need to serve the lord you need to obey the lord he says start by loving you know why because if you love him you will obey him if you love him you will serve him if you love him you will have a healthy fear of him right and so he goes this is the, the commandment like i want you to love the lord your god not with some of your heart and a portion of your soul no, no, with all of your heart with all of your soul with all of your might now here's something else for you to understand Some of the laws that seem trivial actually have a deeper purpose rooted in the sin of worshiping other gods. So as you go through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, sometimes you're going to say, that is a ridiculous law. Why is it even in there? And we read it, we don't get it. They hear it and they go, oh, I know what you're asking us to do right there, right? I gave you one of my favorite laws, and I think I mentioned this to the group um, a few weeks ago that probably, out of all the commandments that are probably even broken in here, this is one you may not have ever broken, right? Praise the Lord, we found one out of the 613 you are uh, not guilty of. Exodus 34, 26 says, You shall not boil a young goat in his what? Mother's milk. All right, now we can have confession time. If anybody has done that today, okay, in your Sunday afternoon, like, uh, Pastor, i got to be honest with you. You know what I've been doing? <laughs> uh, I went out back and I got a young goat and boiled it in his mother's milk. Like, you go, now... Let's be straight. Does that not seem like an odd command? Next to Deuteronomy 6, 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Oh, and by the way, don't, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Like I wanted to in the first place, God. Why is that even a rule? You know why? Because as Israel left Egypt on the way to the promised land, guess what? There were some religious practices along the way of other groups of people that did that exact practice to earn the favor with their pagan god. And Israelites were, yeah, I'm gonna follow the Lord, but I, you mean if I boil the young goat in its mother milk, that that tribe over there says that actually I'll get some financial uh, prosperity. All right, I'll just do that on the side, just in case. Now we don't know that first. You read that, you don't know that, but I had to study. Like, why is that in there? So, so this, this is the deal, right? So, um, men and women, if you are committed to somebody, you need to have one person and one person alone. Amen. Right? You marriage it's, it's one person. It's it's for life. So in, in, in our culture today, people will talk about if someone's unfaithful, they might have somebody, but they also have somebody what they call on the side, so to speak, right? This is my girl on the side. This is my fellow on the side or whatever. We, 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 this, is, this is Israel's version of having a God on the side, if you will, okay? Yeah, I'm going to follow the Lord and everything i got, but I also have this just in case this doesn't work out here. I'm just going to make sure all this is there. So other people are like, okay, so you're boiling a young goat. Why did you do it at as Milk? Ah, just, no worries. Don't worry about it. And God knew. You're doing that because you still wonder if their God over there will help you out. And I'm just here to tell you that it doesn't work this way. Um, The word is not used in the Old Testament, but if you were to study world religions, there's a term that people use called syncretism, okay? If you think about, not now because everything's done on your phone, kind of, you know, um, downloads or something, but if if you had one of those iPods years ago, right, and you had music on your computer, and you wanted to have music on your phone, you would connect that cord together, and you would do what? You would sync them, right? So whatever's on the computer, whatever's on the phone, now you take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it all becomes one library. Make sense? Syncretism is when people take two religions and, and bleed them together into one. Okay? So i give you a great example. Um, I was on a mission trip to Guatemala at one time, where it was a very, very Catholic strong city that we were in. Um, and the people there had a lot of understanding of some of the Bible some of it was not entirely accurate They didn't have a scripture in hand. they just been taught different stories um, And as we were there helping out there were some people there that were not happy that our mission team was there And so in addition to the very Catholic origin of how they had faith There was also a lot of voodoo dolls in the area, okay? Um, apparently, I think I had one with my face on it, which I was like, can I take that home? I'd like to see, you know, whatever. I wanted to at least see what it looked like, just see if it was flattering or not. But anyway, um, now you go, is, is voodoo a common practice in Catholicism? The answer is no. Is voodoo found in the scriptures? The answer is no. What were they doing? They were taking two different fates and putting it into one. And that's called syncretism. Well, this is what's happening in, in uh, Exodus right here, chapter 34, verse 26. These people were syncretized, they were they were saying, okay, I'll follow God, but I'm also gonna have this just on the side, just in case this will help me out as well. And so this is while it may seem a little trivial, may seem out out of order, it really does make sense in the whole grand scheme of things. So the first section of the law is moral. Second section of the law is called what? Civil, right? So as I mentioned, that um, you have a nation of people wandering in the wilderness, and folks, somebody's gotta put a speed limit sign up, right? Okay. Somebody's got to say, if you steal so and so is this, this is what's going to happen. So a huge percentage of the 613 commandments are civil laws among each other. So much of the law encompasses the civil expectations for the Israelites to behave together as citizens of that particular nation. So here, here they are. They're civil expectations. So if we're going to live as a people, this is the way that we ought to behave with one another as a society. Um, folks, even though if there are certain rules that the United States has put into law that get on your nerves, what you do realize what would happen if this nation had zero rules, right? It'd be chaos. Well, you, you take a bunch of people who don't even have geography yet; they don't even have land. There had to be certain rules by which they applied themselves. So, a lot of those rules were contained there in the law. Many civil laws contain the punishment. For civil disagreements and the expectations for guilty restitution. Okay? So many of the civil laws contain the punishment for civil disagreements. Neighbor arguing against neighbor. And they give the expectations for guilty restitution. So what should you do if this happens? so in the command sometimes is if you... um, if you steal your neighbor's ox, if you, you know, hit your neighbor's, um, you know, daughter, if this happens, here's what's going to take place. Here's the restitution. So a lot of those commandments. Now, is that on the same level that you would say, like, uh, don't take God's name in vain? It feels very different. It's a civil laws, right? These are how we're going to work as a society. Let me give you one of those civil laws that a lot of people seem to find very uh, surprising in the Bible. Exodus chapter 21, verse 16 says, Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Did y'all know that was in the Bible? All right. So United States of America, what does that tell us about a, a horrible part in our history? Anybody want to go there? I will. I got a microphone. Slavery. So anybody who ever held a Bible in their hand and defended slavery is against God's word. Without any doubt. This is completely anti... Now, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you go all the way to the Ten Commandments, it talks about your servant, your male servant, your female servant. You can go to the New Testament. Sometimes Paul will talk about your servant in your house, and that word can sometimes be translated slave, and it's a problem. You know what? There are two different versions of what we will expect. In the Bible, sometimes there's a word, especially in the New Testament, called doulos, which can mean servant or slave. It can mean either way right there. But in the New Testament, you could be a servant of somebody if you owed them a debt. And did you know that in the New Testament time, even doctors were servants or slaves to other people? You know why? They got in bad financial situations. And so while they were a doctor over here, they were also working for this farmer for years to try to pay back their debt. That was a servant or a slash slave that was not stealing someone, forcing them into labor. That is sinful at all costs. In fact, you go, yeah, but it happened in the Old Testament. It happened in the Old Testament the same way. Uh, any of you ever worked for a boss man? Anybody? Boss woman? Right? You clocked in, you clocked out, you did something, they told you if you were working, they told you if you weren't working, right? These kind of situations. I mean, you know the Old Testament, it will say your servant, there'd be somebody who would be more wealthy that would include people into their house and they would work for them and sometimes they would house them and sometimes they would care for them. But if you go through the pages of the Old Testament law, what you will find is slavery in the sense of what Exodus twenty-one sixteen says, anyone who steals someone and forces them into labor, that deserves death. That's that clear enough, right? And this is where a lot of people go, oh, the Bible talks about slavery. The Bible talks about working for someone as one thing, but slavery is something sinful and should be literally sent to hell where it belongs. Those are your two options, right? So with this, I, I point that out because a lot of people think, hey, the Bible condones slavery. The Bible never condones the slavery in which we understand, right? What well, the Bible would understand as serving someone that you work for is completely different to what in our history the United States of America has dealt with and the fact of forcing people into work and, and whatnot is just completely antithetical to what the gospel is. Make sense? We all good there? 643, y'all I, I, acting like we've got to do something about that, okay? Okay. <laughs> uh, Just, all right. I didn't mean to get too off on that, but y'all get me riled right up on it. All right. Third section is ceremonial, which is the most exciting part of it, right? Ceremonial laws. Ceremonial laws are often, are those often translated as what's called statutes. It's not statues, by the way. Okay, it's statutes. There's an extra T in there. Statutes. They're ceremonial laws. So when the people of God would come together in certain ceremonies, what they were supposed to do. Well, they include instructions on sacrifices and festivals that maintain the distinct nature of being an Israelite. So some certain laws are this. Hey, when we celebrate this annual celebration, make sure you do that. And it's one of the rules of the 613, right? Comes over and over and over again into all these different sections. So they include instructions on sacrifices, festivals that maintain the distinct nature of being an Israelite. And then here's something I want to encourage everybody here to really understand. Some of the laws were actually given for practical health reasons. Did y'all realize that? That in the scripture, out of the 613 commandments, some of these scriptures are here, some of these laws are here, and only here because God was trying to protect them in a health way. Okay? Now, I'm going to, this next little section, I gathered these notes probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And when I pulled them out um, last week, It was rather humorous to me because seven or eight years ago, I thought this was interesting. Coming in the middle of COVID-19, it takes on a completely different light, okay? I'm going to show you some stuff that you're going to be shocked at. It's actually in God's Word, okay? So as you look, you see that that first section there. um, The first area that God was trying to help out with health was to protect the Israelites' what? Their diets, okay? Some of you are like, God's got a diet plan? Not exactly, okay? Not exactly, Um, They were to protect the Israelites' diets. So as God's people are going out into the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land, um, here's what they don't have. They do not have refrigeration, right? They do not have antibacterial hand soap, right? Uh, They don't have plumbing. They don't have a whole lot of medicine. So here's what God does. I'm going to tell you all some stuff you need to eat and some stuff you need to stay away from. Why? I don't want you to vomit or have diarrhea that's why and you're gonna make it a commandment anybody ever here been sick with a stomach bug <laughs> right okay God if you would like to command me to keep me healthy I will follow along let me give you an example of what's in this ceremonial law and uh, protecting our diets Leviticus 11:13 13 and 19 says and these you shall detest among the birds they shall not be eaten they are detestable and one of those included is do not eat a what bat okay now, if anybody's been following the, the uh, progression of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, a lot of people will trace this all the way back to what? Supposedly somebody eating a bat, okay? Now, if that's the origin of it, whatnot, I mean, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories out here. I would just say, if God says don't eat the bat, don't eat the bat, Okay. Could possibly we not be dealing with all this stuff if we wouldn't have eaten? I don't don't know. But all the way back, God says, here's a list of birds I don't want you to eat. Why, God? Just trust me. (laughs) But why? Why are you trying to hold back? Stomach sickness. Okay, that's all I'm trying to hold back. These things are eating this and doing that, and it's going to make you completely sick. And so you're going to make a commandment out of it? You better believe it. If you've ever been sick for a whole week on a stomach bug, you know why God says, I love you this much. Don't get sick and literally some of these things here, here's what's beautiful if you've ever wondered it can the can the bible be true can this bible accurate here's what you need to understand before modern medicine ever caught up to this god put in exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy certain things to eat and not to eat because he knew that people did not don't eat this eat this why just trust me hundreds and thousands of years later oh it's not safe to eat a bat oh really god's been saying that for a long time right There it is, in Scripture, that God before beat modern medicine way, way ahead of time. Second thing was to keep sickness at bay by guess what? Quarantining the diseased, okay? You mean that the Old Testament speaks about quarantine? Actually, it does, right? Um, I'm not saying that it's the exact amount of what um, the FDA or CDC or whoever is approving, but in the Old Testament, there are certain times when someone gets sick, it says, will you put the person in quarantine? Why? so that other people don't get sick. And it's one of the 613 commands. Okay? Um, Leviticus 13.4. <laughs> this is one of the 613 commands. Are you ready? But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. What? Before modern medicine said, yeah, you can be around people with that rash, but the one that looks like this, you better put them somewhere in a hole and do not let them out. Why? Because it's going to spread like wildfire. So you're going to make a commandment out of it? If you've ever had a skin condition, you are thankful when God says, don't go there, right, okay? So you go, do you mean to tell me that God is literally putting things ahead of modern practice, ahead of modern medicine, and saying, I just want to keep my people safe? You better believe he is. And so he put it into a command. He put it into a rule. Um, The other thing is, is to protect uh, from the spreading of germs by strict rules on washing, you would feel like these commandments came in 2020 and 2021, right? Okay? These are actually in Leviticus, right? All the way through. Hey, if you're living out in the wilderness and you don't really have plumbing and you don't have uh, sanitation, whatever, here's some of the things I'm going to ask you to do. Make sure you're washing your hands. You're going to make a command? Yep, because some of you people are slow, right? Okay? And so this is what he says. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by a beast, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening, then he shall be clean. So if you come into contact with some animal that died of itself, so you find this roadkill, right? Okay, Some of you are like, I'm from Mississippi, we did that all the time. Okay, If you find roadkill, what don't you know about that, that deceased animal? You don't know what killed it, right? Did it get hit by a car? Does it have some type of sickness deep inside? And so you put that thing in your mouth, and what are you asking for? For that sickness that killed that animal to go into your body, because just don't do it, right? Uh, Or he says, if it's been torn by a beast, now you have some other type of thing. That beast may have rabies, and it's now bit into this thing, and now you take it because it's roadkill, and you eat it. Here's what's going to happen. So even if, if you've been around, even if your clothes touch it, You've got to move this person out. You've got to get your clothes washed. You've got to have, bathe yourself in water. You've got to have six feet um, you know, distance separating you or whatever it is. You, are, you will be clean once you at least have a little bit of separation so that what? The germs will die off. Now, I said, I know that this may not be the most motivating Bible study you've ever been a part of. But let me tell you what this does to me. I'm going to shoot straight with you. This is a God who loves his people very, very much. I don't want you sick. I don't want you to die, I want you to enjoy all the life and the promised land is coming and I want you and your kids to be there together so just follow me. Don't eat bats okay? don't eat these certain type of foods if you get sick, get away from everybody and wash your hands for goodness sake wash your clothes if you touch something nasty, just stay away from people right? and this is God saying I want to keep my people healthy and keep them well Why? because he has a good life planned for us All of these practices were far ahead of the science of the time, revealing the existence of a wise and caring creator God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That God, even before science, before medicine comes along, and tells us all the things that we need to be a part of, here's God teaching us these things to teach us what we need to do as a result of it. Now, in support of the law in our concluding moments here, I want to go through these items here together. Number one, The law is God's inspired word for you, but not all are God's direct command for you. Okay? The law is God's inspired word for you, but not all are God's direct command for you. And you go, whoa, 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 what do you mean? In those 613 commands, there are certain civil laws that have to do with how Israelites should handle when someone steals something from another Israelite. While that might be a wise practice, if that's Israel's, Rule, and the United States of America has a different rule. Guess who you're going to have to least be involved in in the United States because you're a different part of a civilization. You following me? There's certain rules about a ceremony. Hey, yeah, if you're part of this ceremony, you need to do these things. You go. What if we don't celebrate that ceremony anymore? Well, then you don't have to apply it. make sense. But for the most part, especially a lot of these things that God's going to say about those, uh, especially that first section about the moral laws, those things really have not changed. Number two. Don't see the law as binding on Christians in the New Covenant era, era except where it is specifically renewed, okay? Don't see the law as binding on Christians in the New Covenant or New Covenant or the New Testament era, right? And except where it is specifically renewed. So, do I think that it is forbidden for you to boil a young goat in its mother's milk I don't know why you would. Okay, I don't know if that's the most—that's um, the most dangerous temptation you need to worry about this very day. Okay, why? In the New Testament or the New Covenant, it's not mentioned again. It's not brought up again. It's not. If you look at this, you know what you find. Um, did Jesus ever tell, remind the people, "Do not commit murder"? Anybody remember? He did. Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it say, "Don't commit murder." That's great. I'm going to tell you don't even hate anybody. (laughs) What? That's hard enough not to kill anybody. Now you want me to hate them? This is where the command starts, right? That's the symptom. The sickness is in your heart. I'm saying, did Jesus ever say anything about don't commit adultery? Yeah. He said, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. Way to go, some of you, you haven't committed adultery. But I say to you, if you had lust in your heart for somebody, you basically already committed adultery with them. (laughs) Okay, Jesus. Don't commit adultery is hard enough. Like, what do you mean? He goes, that's the symptom. The heart's what I'm after. So we're going to back this thing up. So is so is that Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery, is that still for us? Oh, you better believe it. Uh, those things have been repeated in the New Testament, so we, we still walk with them through uh, New Testament uh, believers. Number three, God doesn't alter his perspective on holiness or mercy between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So what I mean by that is that if God doesn't alter his perspective... God is not, I, I don't believe, um, at, in the Old Testament, he's very hard on certain things. In the New Testament, he just goes, ah, i would be all right. Don't worry about that, right? I think on these areas, if God says don't steal in the Old Testament, I think he also means don't steal in the New Testament, okay? Uh, he's not changing. Like, oh, I'm going to be kind of soft. In fact, even Paul would say it this way. You've heard don't steal. Here's what I going to tell you to fix that. Get a job and work hard with your hands. That's how you do it. But stealing is easier. Actually, getting a job is not too bad, right? You can actually do this. So it's always these things. So he doesn't change okay, his perspective on holiness or mercy between the Old Testament and New Testament. Also know this. Never forget that God provided deliverance before he gave commandments. Okay? Never forget that God provided deliverance before he gave commandments. Folks, if you get that order, I promise you, you'll understand so much of the heart of these scriptures. You know why? Uh, We've already mentioned this, but the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus chapter 20, right? So as far as we know it, no one before Exodus chapter 20 had ever heard God give the Ten Commandments. So then let me ask this question. So what did Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, or Moses, how are they supposed to live their lives? Because we've told everybody for the longest time, oh no, To follow God in the Old Testament when you kept the commandments, well, they never had the commandments, right? So then you would think, okay, when we get to Exodus, he's about to give the Ten Commandments. Here's what he's going to say. People are crying out. Pharaoh's hard. We're enslaved. Save us, God. And God says, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to give you Ten Commandments. And if all you people can keep them pretty good for the next year, you know what's going to happen? On this anniversary, I'm going to come and rescue you, and you're going to be my people, and I'll be your God, and I will save you out of Pharaoh's hand. Here are the Ten Commandments. Keep them for a year, and I'll come back. you tell me how good you've done? Let me ask you a question. If God had done that, would they have ever gotten out of Egypt? Not a chance. Exodus chapter 2, verse 25 says that the people cried out to God, and God knew. He knew what he was going to do. He heard. He knew. This is what he did. He rescued them with a mighty hand, outstretched arm, put Pharaoh and all of his army on their knees, he rescues them out of slavery. He brings them out into uh, to wide open spaces. They, they go across the Red Sea on dry ground. The waters part back on, Israel, uh, on Pharaoh and all of his armies, and they're on the other side of the sea, and they are free from their oppressors, free from that hard taskmaster, free from all that idolatry. And then and only then is when God says this, I am your God, you are my people. I have rescued you, and now I'm going to tell you how to live like my people. You are my people. You've been my people, right? But now I'm going to teach you how. Folks, it's the same way that you did with your children growing up, right? You did not wait for your child, biological or adopted, to get their life together before you invited them into your home, right? Okay? You brought them in, right? got three kiddos. You're an Agnew. You have my name. You have everything. I will do anything I can for you. But as you grow, guess what? I'm going to teach you how to live like an Agnew. Not so that you can be one, you are one, but therefore you're going to walk according to the way we do life. So God always provided deliverance before he gave commandments. Also realize this, the law provided the greatest guide to recreate Eden for a fallen mankind. The law provided this greatest guide for us to enter in, to experience Eden for a fallen mankind. The garden of Eden as we think through Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God that the law says this, love God, love others, keep these rules, and guess what? It's about the closest to heaven as we're going to find, right? Let me ask you a question. What happens to a society when everybody's committing adultery? It's chaos, right? Everybody's stealing. It's chaos, right? You start following these commands and it brings us back to what it should be. Jesus perfectly summed up the entire law and the command to love God and to love who? To love others. He perfectly summed up the entire law in the command to love God and to love others. So one day someone came up to Jesus and says, "What's the most important command?" He says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." And what? Your love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. He says all the commandments wrapped up in those two things. Right? You go. There's 613 commandments. How can all those be wrapped up into it? All right. Will you take God's name in vain if you love him with everything you've got? Nope. Will you worship another God if you love God with all you've got? No. All right, let's go horizontal. Can you commit adultery with someone if you love that neighbor as yourself? Because that person doesn't belong to you. Can you kill someone if you love your neighbor as yourself? No. No. You see where this goes? If you love God and love people, guess what? It's the motivation and the heart of every single law. Those that are for God and those that are for others, if you just love God and love others, all those other commands fall into place. And the ultimate point of the law was to show, honestly, that it was impossible for us to keep perfectly. 613 laws, this type of devotion, this is what's going to seem shocking to you. The law was meant to show every single one of us, you don't have it all together, right? there's one who's coming who, who will. So when I read the book of Leviticus, right, which is I know where everybody loves to go to, you open up these pages, right, and this is, um, I have uh, probably underlined every time in the book of Leviticus, verses like Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3 that says, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. And in verse number 10, without blemish. And you continue to go on throughout this book and over and over and over it says if you're going to make a sacrifice to God to atone for your sin, it better be perfect. And every time I read that, you know who I think of? Jesus. The one who is without blemish. So even in all this, I'm seeing the ultimate point of the law is to show I could not keep it, but Jesus could. And so while it brings in, so to speak, the law was kind of like what they call the train tracks, okay? It keeps you from going too far off the left or the right. Can train tracks make a train go by itself? Nope, something's got to push it, right? But it keeps us in line, so to speak. And the law was meant to do that initially, even though we couldn't keep it perfectly, was to keep us going in the right path. But only God and his spirit could come alongside, push us in the law. So as we think through how we interpret the law for us to think through, yes, it was given for the Israelites to learn and to function as God's people, but today it's also wisdom for us as well. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity that we've gotten to be able to open up your word and to understand the truth of it. And God, we just thank you so much that you are a God who tells us how to love you in a moral way and to keep your commandments and know how to handle civil disagreements, but then also to ceremonial issues that happen in our life and to keep ourselves healthy and well so that we can follow you with everything that we have. As we look at your scriptures, we realize this, none of it is by accident. None of it is just uh, nebulous to our lives, but every single point of it has a point that you put out for us to walk in. So Lord, as we see your word, we see that it is good for us, it is right for us, and that we will not regret following you in any type of way that we can. Help us as we continue to know your truth in a uh, clear way as we go forward, not only to be hearers of your word, but also doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.